Your Story with Melinda Estabrooks, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Listen for new episodes every Monday and subscribe to the podcast at faithstrongtoday.com. Our stories have the power to connect us, to inspire us, and give us courage. On Your Story with Melinda, your story matters. Well, welcome to another show on Your Story with Melinda. And today we have a very special, and I would say sobering show. My guest has endured incredible traumas in her childhood that led to her being sexually trafficked, not only in Canada, but around the world, which eventually led her into a life of threatening addiction to alcohol, cocaine, and crack. Colleen Allen, my guest, is here to share her story, her story of recovery, her story of hope, her story of finding Jesus, and her story of how she is doing something with her past to make a difference in the lives of young women and men around the world. Colleen, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here with me. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. So Colleen, thank you also for your bravery. I mean, this is a a really incredible story that you have lived so far. So I want to just start off right from the beginning as a young girl, because I think it's important to hear your story mm-hmm. and the things that we can learn from you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's start from the beginning. Okay. And I think at seven, yes. um, some trauma happened, and then how that led yeah. down the path of, of, of being sexually trafficked. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <clears throat> Excuse me. So... When I was seven years old, uh, I was molested by um, someone who was close to my family. Um, Actually, it was uh, my pediatrician. And uh, yeah, and in addition to that, um, that was right in around the time when the bullying at school started as well. And when I say bullying, I mean... um, pretty much every kid in the class making fun of me, laughing, making jokes, beating me up, like the the whole, whatever you can picture when you think of the word bullying, it happened to me. And those those two things, be, being molested, I think that just, that altered, that changed my thinking. I actually suppressed it, suppressed the memory of it for a number of years. Did you ever tell your parents? No. No. No, never. And how come? It at the time when I was seven years old when it happened it didn't I didn't I was innocent I had no idea that what he was doing was even was even wrong I just thought that that sometimes doctors do that and um, and as I said I I suppressed it and and it wasn't until years later when I went into counseling for being trafficked that the memory uh, came back to me Mm -hmm. and uh, um, so yeah so that that was why I never I never mentioned it to them um, so, so there was that, and and from what I've read, from what I understand, when something like that happens, it just it changes the way that you look at the world. And even if, as a child, you don't really understand what's happening, it changes you. It changes the way your brain looks at mm-hmm. everything. And so, um, so there was that. In addition to that, as I said, I was uh, I was bullied. Um, so that started in grade two, and it continued right through to to grade eight. Um, so every single day, going into school, not knowing if I was going to get beat up, not knowing if I was going to be left out or made fun of. So it was um, though all of those things combined. By the time I got into my teens. 
teens, I had absolutely no self-esteem and uh, um, thought I was ugly thought I was weird. Um, so you've taken all this in. You're yeah. bullying. They're calling you names. And so you're yeah. taking this in as truth. Exactly. And, and essentially lies of what these kids are saying to you. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. And, uh, and I was a very, I was very awkward and, and didn't dress um, in the sort of fashionable, um, flattering clothes, however you want to put it, wore glasses. So I was, I was a real target. And so when I got to be about 14 years old, things began to change. Um, didn't need the glasses anymore. Started wearing makeup, started um, having more control over what I wore. And so as a result, um, started to attract attention from boys. And But in addition to that, I also grew very tall. And it was suggested to me that um, that I might make a good model. Mm-hmm. And, and that really, the idea of that really appealed to me because... It basically was my way of saying to those kids that bullied me, see, I'm pretty enough, I'm beautiful enough that I can be a model. And, and, and at that time, I mean, this is in the, this is in the eighties. So that's when the, the whole supermodel. So everybody was talking about models and and that that whole, that whole thing. And so uh, I really latched on to that. And um, which leads me to, uh, um, to, to how I was brought into the, the sex trade. When I was 16 years old, there was, uh, there was a man who put a, an ad in the local newspaper um, for looking for models for a fashion show that he was holding at, uh, at a restaurant. And so my dad and I went to meet him, and, uh, um, and he felt that I would make a good model, and he also felt that he would be able to help me in my, in my modeling career. At least this is what he was telling my dad and I. And so this, uh, so I, I did the fashion show with him, and then my dad and I would meet with him over over the next few months, and he would make promises about um, who he was going to connect me with, and um, giving me advice. And he really, um, he really began to groom both me and my family. We, um, he practically became an extended member of the family. He'd come to the house for dinner. So my parents trusted him and 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 liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, he he put a lot of effort into getting them to to trust him. And for myself, he really he became more than a like a business contact. He really became someone that I trusted. I would share things with him about boys. I would um, go to him for advice. He was like a mentor. All of these yeah. things rolled into one, and of course, the the low self esteem that I brought with me from from the the molestation and from being from being bullied, I really got attached to people in general. Anyone that would show me positive attention, I was just I was I was right in there, yeah. and so I got very very attached to him. And and the other thing that uh, that really took hold in my heart was this sense of needing to please people no matter what it didn't matter what they asked me to do I just wanted to please and the idea of making somebody mad or letting somebody down it was just I wanted no part of it I was willing to do whatever it took and your household too wasn't safe I mean you had a verbally and emotionally abusive mom and alcoholic father so I mean combined with bullying yeah molestation yeah yeah. Colleen, it's just, you know, your environment was yeah. just, you know, I mean, it's, it's combustible, but it was just, 
here you are in the midst of it. Yeah. And low self-esteem, wanting to yeah. please people, it's all yeah. there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. it's almost a sense this predator could mm. see that. Eh? Mm-hmm. Like I just, my, totally. as we're talking, I, I want you to yeah. get to him. But yeah. I mean, yeah. I can see how it would be sort of like ripe yes. and sort of a perfect yeah. scenario to kind of get into this family and groom. Absolutely. So, so go on. Yeah. So he's yeah. grooming you and your family. Yeah. Are you still, you're still modeling? Not really, Not actually. Really, I just, did, okay. I did the, I did that one fashion show for him. And the one thing that he did do is he did connect me with a, a modeling agency in Toronto. And um, looking back on it now, it was, it was a red flag of things to come because initially his promises were it wasn't going to cost us anything. It was going to, you know, he was going to promote me and I was going to have this great career. And when he connected us with this agency in Toronto, it did, it cost my parents a lot of money to get a portfolio and and to do all of that. And through them as a student, because I took their modeling course, which again, cost money. During that time, I did some volunteer fashion shows. So I didn't get paid, but I did some fashion shows for them. So I did do some modeling. So you did some. So here you are and you're you're going about, you know, your life. He's part of the family. And what happens? How How does it all begin? So it all transforms. When I was, again, I think I was about 17 years old and I lost my virginity. I shared it with him. I told him what had happened. And it seemed that that was the turning point. Once I told him that, the way he would talk to me started to change. He started to tell me about all of these girls that he worked with in the past who were willing to sleep with men in order to further their careers. And oh. yeah, mm-hmm. and and he ju- he made it sound very normal. He made it sound very empowering because these, uh, you know, this is their way of taking charge of their of their career, and they, you know, can have power and control over men and using their bodies to 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 further their 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 own agenda. And mm-hmm. and and so he made it all sound very very normal. Mm-hmm. And then so that happened over probably a number of weeks and then one night he had a party at his house and he invited local dignitaries and business people and whatnot and that night he drugged me and raped me and and that's where that's where it all shifted and when I realized what had happened I literally woke up at the end of the assault and uh, and when I realized what he had done I broke down and just bawled and just this sense of shame and betrayal came over me and it was I mean you have to understand I was 17 years old he was in his 50s oh. and and so he was he was a friend but he was also kind of a father figure yeah. so it was just I just I felt so disgusted and I literally said the words like this is the last thing that I wanted and but of course I've got that whole history of low self-esteem and that neediness and that people-pleasing. People-pleasing. Yeah. And so, you know, the question some people might have is, why didn't you leave? Well, I was really, really attached to him at that point. And he would say, he'd say to me, if you trust me, you will, you will do this. And so over the next few weeks, he would continue to have sex with me looking back on it it was just I think he was breaking me in because he knew that eventually he was going to start setting me up with other men at this point I was still living at home with my parents I had just graduated from high school in June 
And I was going back to school for grade 13 in, in September. The, I had plans to um, pursue uh, writing. I love to write. And I had been told that it's important to have sort of a backup plan when you want to become a model because it's not a secure form of employment. And so the plan was just that I was going to be at home with my parents, go back to for one more semester, do a co-op. But instead, what happened was probably about two or three weeks into the, the school year. So about midway through September, towards the end of September, Carl convinced and me. Carl and Carl is the... He is the perpetrator. Perpetrator, yeah. Yeah. He convinced me and convinced my parents that in order for me to grow up, and to further my career, I needed to move into his house. Yeah. And you did. And I did. Yeah. And, and how, I mean, and your parents yeah, trusted him enough to do completely that? trusted now, him. Did you ever tell them about what he did to you? Eventually I did, okay. but not until okay. after it all so ended. So you move in. Yes. And what begins to happen? So he almost right away, like with probably within a week, not even, he starts bringing men to the house for me to sleep with. And in addition to that, the I would not be given any money. The money would go directly to him. And in addition to that, he also had me register for, it's called Ontario Works now. I don't remember what it was called back then, but it basically it was sign up for welfare. When I would receive my monthly check, we would get into a cab and go to a bank and cash it and I would get back into the cab and hand the money over to him. So Colleen, let me get yeah. this. So you move in with him yeah. and it sounds like, you know, because some people who are listening, watching going, but don't you have free will? Couldn't you have just like run away or, or not been with him? He's inviting men over. Yeah. So, you know, he essentially is your pimp. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you are, you know, being trafficked in a city right outside of Toronto. Right. And these men are coming. And what kind of men are these? I mean, businessmen and... Mainly businessmen. Yeah. They're coming into his home and having sex with you, paying him for your services. Right. At this point, you know, you're... How old are you now? I'm 17. Or actually, no, sorry. At that point, I'm 18. So you're 18 now. Yeah. And you're so tied to him, you you can't... You don't feel like you can leave or... what What's going through your head at this point? The the idea... I... I was so attached to him, the idea of letting him down, of having to explain why I would be cutting off contact. Like he, because he said to me, he said, you know, you can't tell your parents what's happening because they will blame you. They'll look down on you. So so this is what's going through your head. Yeah. So you're thinking through yeah. these things. Yeah. There's shame, yeah. embarrassment. I mean, probably a sense of guilt and like, how do I even tell anybody? Because you're not telling anybody. No. No friends. No. No family. No one knows. No one knows. So this continues. How long does this continue for? This goes, um, so it began in September and it went right up until April of 19... 19- 1991. That's right. Cause I so, so business yeah. people are coming in. You're having sex with them. You're also traveling right. overseas or right. internationally to right. be basically an escort right. with businessmen. Right. And right. again, it's this thing that, again, for certain outsiders, it's like, did you ever say, this is wrong, I got to get out? Or was there a point where you're like, this is my life, I have money and security? What, what's happening in your, in your thinking? So I went from being ashamed and being feeling betrayed and and just disgusted by by all of it and then all of a sudden it was like something took over and just said like this is it this is this is your one of the things that he would say to me is you know this is all you're good for 
and I started to I started to believe that and and I fooled myself into thinking that that this is a way of having having power over my body and having power mm. over men and and again that the idea the low self-esteem played into that because all of a sudden I'm tricking myself into thinking yeah. I have all this power. So all this time you're going through this mm-hmm. and and my sense is you didn't really know God. You grew up Roman Catholic. You knew that God was sort of out there to be worshipped. Right. So you don't know him. Right. You go through this. Yeah. And, you know, it breaks my heart. I, I honestly believe in these circumstances, you know, God looks and says, yeah. oh, his heart breaks. Oh, and absolutely. I think his heart breaks also for people who might have seen you and seen what was going on and didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Or for the men who came mm-hmm. and you're the age of their daughter. Yeah. Like I'm I'm yeah. sorry, I just yeah. call it out like yeah. Yeah. you know, totally. wake up everybody. Like yeah. what what yeah. we're doing as far as when a woman yeah. is sexually trafficked. Yeah. Let's fast forward. So yeah. you're through this. Yep. How do you get out? Because I know then you be, you get addicted to alcohol and, you know, pot and yeah. then cocaine and crack. I mean, your life is just yeah. so yeah. talk to me through yeah. how okay. you got out in this recovery of yeah. you know, for you. Yeah. So the addiction started during while I was being trafficked because one of the things, one of the, mm. the ways to deal with what was being done to me was drinking. It was a lot easier to do what I was asked to do when I had a few drinks under my belt. And so that really taught me how to rely on alcohol. And Carl passed away. That's how it all came to an end. He uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and within a number of months, he he died. And as a brief brief aside, um, you talk about God's justice. The cancer he had, one of the most painful cancers you can have. And like I said, he he died, and and none of the men knew how to contact me once I moved out of the house right. and moved back in with my parents. So that's how it all came to an end. That summer, he died in April. That summer, I started the the drinking got really really heavy. By September, up till that point, I had never touched drugs. I had vowed that I was never going to touch drugs. Wanted no part of it. But the being trafficked changed the way that I looked at myself. I just didn't care. It was like, you know, I've been through all of this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this idea of trying to save myself or keep myself safe and not using drugs is is stupid. Yeah. And yeah. and so that was the that was the thinking and so started smoking marijuana and and hash and uh, and within a matter of months graduated to using cocaine. And it's just like numbing, eh? Just yeah, numbing yourself, totally. escapism. Totally. You know, dealing with all the dreams and the memories of what went on. I mean, yeah. Yeah. for men to abuse you and your body, you have to, I think, disassociate yourself and just be like, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and wonder, yeah. am I worthless? Who loves yeah. me? Is there a God? I mean, all yeah. those things. I yeah. So you're medicating, you're escaping, yeah. you're numbing. And so you're taking these, you get addicted in all the mess and all of... Yeah. This how yeah. does how does God break through? How, and not even that God break. Yeah. God was always there. And this is yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the insane thing because people yeah. are like, it doesn't make sense to us. But God's son was always there mm-hmm. and knew what was going on. And so many people be angry at God. Why didn't he intervene? But yeah, he was there. And yeah. how did? You and him yeah. finally connect through all this. So in my addiction, I started. God started to put people in my path who believed in God or believed in Him. 
And so I was kind of reminded of the faith of my childhood okay. because I did believe in him. Yeah. I really did when I was a child and reminded me of that. There was, there was one time in particular that I think back on. There was one night where I was really, I had consumed a lot of cocaine. I was really strung out and feeling of anxiety and panic. And I remember sitting in a bathroom stall asking God, to help me, to give me some peace because I'm just, I'm so terrified. And in his grace and his mercy, he gave in that moment, he gave that to me. And it just that brief little thing showed me that he does hear prayers. And I mean, I forgot about it and continued on and moved into heavier drugs crack. By the end of my addiction, it was, there was needles, the the whole nine yards. And so, so basically there's three Three ways that that God really intervened and showed me who he really is. Mm -hmm. First one was, the first time was I hit rock bottom. I was on the verge of losing my job, on the verge of being kicked out of my parents' house. And all of a sudden, I had this moment of clarity. And I saw how bad my life had become. And something inside of me knew that I wasn't going to be one of those people that could just use drugs and alcohol for years and years and years Mm -hmm. and not have anything happen. I knew that if I kept going the way I was going, I was going to die. So there was that. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, I reached out to my family, my family doctor, and my family doctor uh, referred me to a, a residential treatment program. And so there was a little bit of a, a waiting waiting list, about a six-week-long waiting list to get in. And just prior to me entering into rehab, he just before I entered rehab, I had just come off of a three- or four-day bender. And I, I just I realized that the only way that I was going to be able to overcome this addiction was for God to help me. And so I sat, I was in my parents' basement and something inside of me from way down deep just cried out, God, help me. And not long after that, went into rehab. And he, God started to bring people into my path. In particular, um, he brought one, um, he brought the man that would eventually become my husband. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the a mutual friend introduced us. Glenn had gone through uh, rehab the year before, mm-hmm. and he used to come back to the rehab center to go to meetings and 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 that kind of thing. And whenever I got around Glenn, um, he had this serenity about him, and it was like something that I could reach out and touch. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had never known that kind of serenity, and I was really drawn into it. Yeah. And so I asked him. Where did you get where do you get that serenity from? Mm-hmm. And he started to talk to me about his faith and, and his have, faith in God. And his and faith his in relationship God. with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, at, at that point he had been walking with the Lord for about a year. Yeah. And uh, and God had just had done an amazing work in his life as well. And so um, and so he started to share his faith with me. And and this is what leads me to the, the final thing, and it's just an absolutely miraculous, awesome God mm-hmm. moment. He uh, I had started, I had started praying, I had started going to church, I'd started, you know, mm-hmm. growing in my relationship. And then one night, um, now, just to back up very briefly, during this time, Glenn, mine and Glenn's friendship had blossomed into a mm-hmm. relationship. And 
and and we we had developed feelings for each other and our relationship was based on Christ right from right yeah. from the beginning. And so anyway, up to that point I hadn't told him about being trafficked. I hadn't told him about being mm-hmm. abused or anything. And I realized that it was time for okay. me to tell yeah. him. And so I told him and he started to pray over me and all of a sudden this incredible peace washed over me and all of a sudden it was like a dam broke and I started crying harder than I had ever cried in my life and I could hear God naming the traumas all the different traumas that I'd been through the the bullying the the um, being being trafficked, um, even some of the things that I had done in my addiction that mm-hmm. caused me an incredible amount of shame. And when I came out the other side of that, that was that was the defining point. For the yeah. first time, you finally had this safe place to share who you are to be known and fully accepted yeah. and fully loved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Glenn, your husband, exemplifies that of, of, of Jesus, yes. who says, you know, come to me as you are, yeah. fully accepting of you and all, all the yuck yeah. that you've done before, yeah. and I accept you and love you. Yeah. And I think that's a, a beautiful picture of Jesus. Last thoughts on someone who's had a incredibly traumatic, painful past like yourself. What are your last thoughts on, on the hope and encouragement for them, whether t- to find Jesus, to encourage them in their journey? You know what? For, for me, it was when, I, when, when God got a hold of me, I felt so dirty. I felt mm-hmm. so dirty. I felt so ashamed. And um, it talks in Isaiah about washing I will wash you whiter than snow. You, your sin may be as red as crimson, but I'm going to wash you as white as snow. And that—that um, that is exactly what he did for me. Mm-hmm. He washed me clean, and and he he just washed the hardness. I mean, by the like I said, by the time he got a hold of me, I was so angry and hard. I'm the the person you see today is nothing like the person yeah. that God got a hold of. And so for anyone who is suffering, whether it's abuse, whether it's being trafficked or or anything that anything that, that brings that kind of shame, God can wash it clean and 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 purify and and it's just a whole brand new brand new life. It yeah. is. Yeah. I mean if, even for myself, I mean, there will always be, you know, the memories and that's your past, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can't ever not ever remember. Yeah. But it's it's moving past it yeah. in strength, in obedience and conviction with courage to say, that's yeah. my story, which yeah. is really his story. Yeah. And thank God um, we found one another. And I think yeah. for you, the choice to change the choice to recover, yeah. um, the choice to find God, yeah. and what an incredible story you have. Yeah. And and now you're a motivational speaker and advocate yeah. for those that are sexually trafficked and bullied. Colleen Allen, uh, if people want to connect with you on Facebook right. and on Twitter, Twitter yeah. uh, Colleen Allen, A-L-L-A-N. Yes. Right? Colleen yeah. Allen. He has blessed me with lots of opportunities to, to speak okay. on talk shows and whatnot. It was yeah. a privilege uh, to have you here. Thank you for your story and for the inspiration that you bring. No, thank you.
Thanks for listening to Your Story with Melinda, an exclusive presentation of FaithStrongToday.com. Listen to past episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and join the conversation with Faith Strong Today on Facebook.